Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. And look, today, I think it's obvious, we have to take a deep dive into Monday's election results. Pollster Mario Canseco, president of Research Co., he's going to break down how Canadians were feeling about these results. We have a very interesting conversation about what the formation of government is going to entail and maybe how you know, Canadians are feeling about the leaders right now. Then Business Council of BC CEO Greg Devignon, he joins the show to talk about the economic implications of this vote. But before we get there, I should also mention that coming up on November 6th at UBC Robson Square, we're going to do BIV Talks post-election. Kirk LaPointe is going to be moderating from Business in Vancouver, and panelists include the aforementioned Mario Canseco, as well as Brittany Kerr from Earns Cliff Strategy Group, and Scott Lamb of the Conservative Party of Canada. Then, November 13th at Fairmont Waterfront, it is BIV's BC CEO Awards. More details at BIV.com slash events. Now let's kick it off with Mario Canseco. So Monday's election results saw Canadians deliver to Parliament a reduced Liberal government with Justin Trudeau and company seeing their majority reduced to a minority. And lots to pick apart here, and I'm happy to have with us today Mario Canseco. He's president of Research Co. based here in Vancouver. Mario, thanks for joining us on the show. My pleasure, Tyler. Okay, so you guys did some exit polling at Research Co. Uh, We have a uh, story up on BIV.com where you break it all down, so I'd recommend people go there for even more more of those numbers. I want to know from you, just this exit polling, does a lot of it line up with maybe the changes we saw overall come out of last night? I think it does. You know, one of the issues that I see here is a very deep regional divide. Uh, people in Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta not happy with the outcome of the election. Uh, Quebecers, Ontarians, British Columbians, to a lesser extent, definitely happy with the situation that we're facing ourselves now uh, into. And the interesting issue for me as well is a little bit of a shift in the way we're looking at things. There's definitely an appetite for the federal parties to collaborate in the next, uh, what could be 18 months of a minority government. Yeah, and so with regards to collaboration, what are Canadians leaning towards? What form of collaboration would they like to see? Well, we see that there's uh, more than half of uh, voters who believe that it would be okay for the NDP to support a specific party, in this case, the Liberals, Uh, to make sure that the federal government doesn't fall. Uh, There's not the same level of appetite for a specific collaboration with the Greens. Of course, they only have three seats, so it's going to be tough for them to be the only ones. Uh, And also, nobody's happy with the notion of the bloc helping anybody. And this is something that is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, But it's good to measure it in the sense that we could have had a situation where the bloc could have held the balance of a a, a power. So it's not going to happen. But if it had, Canadians would not have been happy with it. Yeah, jumping off that, uh, we saw a very much a resurgent block in Quebec. Uh, we also noticed that as much of a blue wave throughout uh, the prairies. Um, we're in a very regionalized country. Does BC kind of represent a, a bit of the mishmash of what's going on across the rest of Canada, minus, say, the Bloc Québécois? It is in a way because, you know, we see 
a situation where the federal conservatives did a little bit better than the liberals and the NDP, but all three were pretty much close uh, together. It's not a scenario where you had a massive winner here. Uh, there were uh, certain areas where the liberals didn't do well, uh, which was expected. They weren't going to hold on to the same level of support that they had in the last election. And the NDP, I think there, there was an expectation that they would do better in specific areas, particularly Surrey, where it didn't actually materialize. So it's one of those things where you look at the map and it's a great divide uh, when it comes to specific places where the liberals did better than the NDP. But if you look at both of them together, uh, they would a clean house. But of course, they're not united yet. So I have a confession for our, of all of our listeners, though. It's um, nobody in our office pool did very well. I mean, obviously, somebody's going to win, but everybody's pretty far off the mark here. As a pollster, I, I mean, how do you tackle an election like this where it comes off? There, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty surrounding uh, what the results may be. Well, I think one of the keys for us uh, was to continue tracking this all the way until Sunday uh, to make sure that you captured that last minute change. Uh, we had a level of undecideds that was about six or seven a percent, uh, which is definitely low. But this is what happens when you continue polling all the way. Uh, one of the things that was interesting to me in the final stages was a, ve a very big jump for the bloc, which is not really based on the idea that Quebec should be a sovereign nation. It was mostly a rejection of the other federalist parties. And a lot of uh, bloc voters who saw in the leader of the bloc, Mr. Blanchet, somebody who they wanted to support in this election. So it's not a vote for sovereignty. It's more of a rejection of everything else that the federal parties were throwing at. Yeah, it was interesting just listening to his speech last night. He was talking about how he wants the party to be seen as like equal partners uh, throughout the rest of Canada. They weren't talking about, you know, their own nation. So that, that's going to be an interesting thing for us to kind of figure out what the role of the Bloc Québécois is going to be moving well, forward. What is interesting for me is uh, he's uh, essentially taking the role of the other regional parties in Europe. You look at the way he spoke last night, and it's almost like hearing the Catalonian parties or the parties in the Basque Country or those regional, uh, maybe in, in Italy sometimes when you have those regional uh, issues uh, that definitely play a role. Nobody's saying we're going to separate tomorrow, but he wants a very, a, a very different kind of relationship than what we saw before when the campaigns for the blog were always based on the idea of separation. So I think maybe this election very much a, a trial for one Justin Trudeau. Canadians gave their feelings, gave them a reduced government here. Um, what does it mean moving forward for Andrew Scheer? Uh, you did some exit polls there. What do Canadians maybe want? Well, even though there's more than half of uh, Canadian voters who believe that he should step down, when you look at it from the standpoint of the conservative voters, by a two to one margin, they want him to stay. Mm. And you look at it as a scenario where he did better than Harper as far as the seats. Uh, they had more votes than the liberals when you tally in everything. So there are certain aspects of success that would certainly suggest that Andrew Scheer could do better. It really depends on what happens in the next five to six months. There's leadership review, but it's not uh, something that is going to happen anytime soon. And there's no appetite right now for something like this to change. So I think they're just going to hold in and say, we're going to keep it as it is. We'll see what happens in a minority scenario. You don't want to have a leadership challenge because that gives whoever is governing, you're going to have to do whatever they want. Yeah, I think it what took like uh, two years for the NDP to decide on a new leader, but they're doing that under a majority government. They had that time. And, and that makes me think of one Singh. I, I mean, he wasn't lighting many fires in, in the lead up to this, but I think in the last two weeks of the election, I think he gained a lot of traction. I, I don't 
don't know if the results necessarily reflect that, though. But um, if you look at the situation right now with the minority government, does Singh look to be kind of safe as leader moving forward? Well, it really depends on what happens uh, if there's an actual coalition, a, a partnership, which is what we saw in the United Kingdom, that might work well for him. Uh, if it's something where they go case by case, vote by vote, trying to make sure that their agenda happens as the liberal government, it'll be a little bit different. Uh, I think he benefits from the fact that there's a minority in the same way that Jack Layton benefited from that in his first election. Uh, it's more of a challenge uh, in, in this case to try to reconnect with some of those voters. You know, we see a lot of liberal voters who said, I don't want Andrew Scheer to be the next prime minister. Can those voters connect with Jack Singh in the next election if it happens within two years? And how do you rebuild the operations of the NDP? If we were heading into an election almost immediately, they would have a very tough time figuring out what to do because their fundraising is not what it used to be. Flipping back to the conservatives, conservatives uh, for just a moment as well, though, if you look at the popular vote, though, of course, they uh, outdid the liberals. But the thing is, I, I'm not seeing the conservatives make much movement, uh, much of a dent right now. You said that's Andrew Scheer, two to three uh, or a two to one margin at this point, or he still has two thirds of the support of his base, though. Are they going to have to consider some sort of way to expand just beyond the base that seems to be very pat right now? It's almost a return to the Reform Party when you look at it. Extremely popular in Alberta. They win seats by 15 points more than they did four years ago, but that is not going to give you more seats in the House. I think there was a difficulty connecting in Ontario. Uh, they are losing Ontario by about six or seven points, consistent with what we saw in the last survey we did. Um, you're, you're not connecting outside of your base, and that's definitely problematic. They win a few seats in the Maritimes. That was definitely a nice start of the evening for them, but really not much to show for in Quebec. So unless you have a specific party that can make a dent in Ontario and Quebec, where most, where most of the seats are, uh, we might be heading into a situation where you continue to be more of a local party. That is the thing that Stephen Harper did very well. Andrew Scheer couldn't deliver last night. So Justin Trudeau, four years ago, he rode in on a wave of popularity, and he's kind of finding himself in a similar position as to where his father was uh, <laughs> moving into his second term as well. Uh, what is the spell for the future of the Liberals and Trudeau in the ensuing months? And we'll see how this minority government plays out. But I, I am very curious about what you gather from the potential future for one Justin Trudeau. I think there are definitely changes in the leadership style that have to happen. Uh, I think that was one of the messages that was sent yesterday. You saw some voters who were motivated by the environmental policy, for instance, who decided to go elsewhere and not vote for the liberals. So that's an issue that they need to tackle. Uh, but ultimately, I think it is about image. Uh, there was a situation in the first couple of years where everything was going well. People are more worried about the future. They want to see something different from uh, the head of government of the country. And, and if we go back to to uh, the year of 1972 when Pierre Trudeau won his minority government, uh, his leadership style changed dramatically. It wasn't as flamboyant as it was in the first four years because they knew they were hanging by a thread. So we might see something similar this time around with a Justin Trudeau that is more careful about what he's saying, not only pandering to the base, but also trying to grow it by essentially talking about things that many Canadians want to hear and leaving the style a little bit further behind. Well, one thing that he did mention in his speech last night, though, is that he's heard from Albertans and from those in Saskatchewan. Uh, do you think that's kind of the right track, trying to bridge some of those divides that have been created, especially when we look at the center of the country, or I should say, Western Canada? 
Well, it's definitely necessary for him to do that. And I think part of the problem with the analysis coming out of Ontario is the assumption that the West is exactly the same once you enter Manitoba. And it's definitely different when it comes to BC. We have other concerns, the environmental aspects of things, the fact that the NDP definitely wins seats over here, um, different from Alberta. But ultimately, I think it's about nation building. Uh, it's something that is going to be quite complicated. It's not going to result in many seats if an election happens soon, but I think he needs to definitely appeal to the broader population and say, I'm going to govern for all of you. I get the message. You're not entirely thrilled with what is happening. Otherwise, we would have a majority. So moving forward, I mean, we hear a lot that's maybe a minority government's uh, average or lasts on average, maybe about 18 months. Uh, Is there much of an appetite for Canadians to be going back to the polls anytime soon? Not right now. I think it'll be different, uh, especially depending on what happens uh, with a couple of issues that are sort of dormant over uh, the minds of many Canadians. One of them is what is going to happen with finances. If the economy goes south, if we end up with a situation with the Americans, discussions about impeachment of Donald Trump, and of course they have an election a year from now, so there's definitely certain issues that could be detrimental to the way finances go. And the second one is, what is going to happen with Alberta? Uh, We saw last night on social media the reaction, the way people are talking about separation. Uh, Is this something that is happening because of the way the election unfolded in the same way that we heard from many disenchanted Democratic Party voters who said that they were moving to Canada because Donald Trump was the president. So we'll have to wait and see. I've asked about separation. It's only around 25 to 30 percent of Albertans who would actively consider it. It's not 90 percent like most people would like us to believe. Uh, but it's something that needs to be tracked, especially with a premier like Jason Kenney calling the shots. Yeah, I'll say that uh, it looks like to be about 25, 30% of my cousins in Alberta seem to be in favor <laughs> of uh, separation based on social media posts from last night as well. Um, why don't we bring it back to Vancouver for uh, a moment? One of the stories I think everybody is thinking about, though, is, uh, well, I'll make it all about me. My own writing was uh, Vancouver Granville, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, what does this mean uh, for a individual? Independence MP going back to Ottawa, working with the Liberals. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's a minority government. Maybe she's going to have a little bit more you know, power moves up her sleeve if uh, versus if it was a majority government for the Liberals. Well, I think there's a couple of things uh, that she can do. Obviously, she has a voice. She's somebody who was able to survive a very difficult campaign as an independent, uh, defeating a Liberal candidate who was definitely qualified to to run against her. Uh, but the key here is, what are the issues that you're going to be championing? You know, we know they're definitely close to the Green Party, so they could help change some of the policies there. As a lawyer, she's going to be interested in many other policies of the government. And, and you know, getting into specific uh, committees will be very difficult. How do you get those ideas across? Or, or what is the future for her? Does she want to join a party? Does she want to start her own party? Does she want to do something completely different uh, now that she's there by herself? Uh, Maxime Bernier tried to do something like that, and it didn't quite go that well for his party last night. Uh, But ultimately, I think it's a testament uh, to the ability of an independent campaign to win as handily as they did in a writing that is definitely difficult. So, Mario, one of the things that I I keep thinking about is, was there an overall, an overarching narrative for this election? I I mean, I think we can come back from the 2015 election and and figure out what it was. Uh, There there are a number of elements that really popped out. Uh, But for this one, this is beyond Justin Trudeau's, you know, brownface controversy. (laughs) 
I, I'm wondering if there's much that captured the imaginations of Canadians throughout this. And, and a lot of these elections, they come down to the economy, but I, I don't think that was the case so much in the 2015 uh, election necessarily. I think there are other issues at play. What makes this election so compelling is that every region had something different to be upset about. Uh, it was economy and jobs in Alberta and in Ontario, healthcare in the Maritimes, um, the environment in Quebec to a lesser extent here in BC, but mostly housing. So everybody had a different message. Everybody had a different thing that they were upset about with the government. And in a way, it was something that was dominated by the past. Uh, was Andrew Shear a licensed broker? Why did Justin Trudeau wear a brown face? Uh, why didn't Jack Meetsing talk about terrorism when he should have? Uh, we concentrated too much on the past and not enough on the present and the future. I certainly hope that the next campaign is different. Okay, well, it's going to be interesting now whatever unfolds in the ensuing weeks and months. And I don't know, maybe this government will last. Uh, we saw Stephen Harper uh, move forward, minority governments as well. So we'll keep picking your brain in, uh, as we move forward with this, Mario. I'm not planning any holidays. Okay, great. That's Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. And stay with us, Greg Davignon from the Business Council of British Columbia. He joins us next to give us his thoughts on what the election results mean for the economy. So it's been a very, I'd say, interesting. Maybe some people call it a bit, bit of a strange election the past six weeks. Uh, one that ended with a note of uncertainty as the Liberals return with a reduced government. And with us to break down what the results could mean for our economy moving forward, it is Greg Davignon. He is CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. Greg, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tyler. So, Greg, we are seeing some signs, I guess, of a, a global economic slowdown if we look across the world. I mean, BC's economy is still, still doing well, but how does a minority government, as it appears that we'll be getting, uh, led by the Liberals, how does it need to be navigating the implications of such a prospect? Well, it's a great question. Um, clearly, the IMF, uh, World Bank, and other notable um, uh, analysts have cited that we're in a cyclical slowdown globally, and it's being led by China-U.S. trade uh, conflicts and uncertainty around Brexit and a variety of other issues uh, specific, in part to uh, China's slowing as well. And uh, we're not immune to that. In Canada and B.C., we've seen a downgrade. We're about to have our B.C. economic report come out this week, which will see B.C.'s uh, growth prospects downgraded again for the third time this year. And uh, we're seeing a slowing economy, both from a consumer perspective in the U.S. and in Canada, and also some foundational elements around trade and around real estate and other elements. Um, a minority government is not necessarily a bad thing, but the outcome of this election I'm concerned about. Um, the rest of the world, despite global uh, slowdown is really focused on being more competitive and more productive. And productivity matters because that means you're driving higher wealth per person. In other words, working smarter rather than harder or longer. Canada is going the exact opposite direction and it becomes very difficult. And we saw that play out in this election campaign to have a really clear, cohesive strategy for the country that makes us more competitive, that makes us more productive and ultimately prepares us for a slow global economy of the future. And Canada is one of the most ill-prepared in the OECD, uh, given our lack of productivity and some of the foundational erosion we've seen in the economy. 
Well, moving forward, are taxes of any concern uh, for your organization? Uh, just think about maybe the national carbon tax. For, uh, maybe we can kick it off with that and then dive into some of the other stuff. Well, taxes generally in and of themselves are important, but they're not the big story. We've got a problem in Canada where we've got a tax system structured around economy that existed in the 1960s. And the digital economy of today is much different. We have a lot of companies on their balance sheets have intangibles that we just really don't know how to deal with. And also the digital economy and the way that consumers consume is much different. Um, my kids download games now instead of going to the video store. Um, people shop online and those products are delivered to the door as opposed to going to retail environments. And those have all profound implications for economic growth and wages uh, into the future. But we're not taxing a lot of that digital economy. And as a result, we're overburdening some of the non-digital economy in inappropriate ways. The other side is, again, from a productivity standpoint, just to harp on that, it's one of the things that just isn't talked a lot about. But Canada and BC have seen significant economic wealth creation over the last decade. But we have been the worst in the OECD in wealth uh, creation per individual. In other words, our living standards have fallen faster than anywhere else in the world, despite the fact the economy is growing. And where that comes out, Tyler, is we've had a significant run-up of immigration. And so we've got more people working, but those people are really splitting up the economic growth equally. And so what that means is that while more people are working, they're not actually getting ahead. They're just essentially splitting up the pie among more people. And the other side of, of that equation is that cost of living has gone up. And that's where you get some of that frustra frustration and anxiety that played out in this uh, election with the spoke tax and policy and program spending that um, forgot about the economic underpinnings that we're just talking about now. Well, speaking of the cost of living, though, do you feel as if BC is going to be getting any tangibles with regards to some sort of measures for affordable housing? Do you think that some of the concerns that we have on the West Coast are going to be effectively addressed moving into a new government? Well, it, certainly the Liberal government talked about um, uh, putting a tax on foreign buyer investment of housing and others. But the problem is, is that the federal government doesn't typically deliver housing. Uh, housing is delivered largely by the private sector in concert with the rules and tax policy that municipalities, regional districts, and provinces uh, lay out. And the problem we have right now is that those are all misaligned. Everyone wants to get to providing more supply and more support for people that are vulnerable and need housing. But you see it playing out in the news this week from Surrey through to Vancouver and across the province that we're not keeping up with supply because of the uncertainty of some of the tax policies that's out there. So what's happening is the people that build houses for the last 12 months have been pulling back because they don't know how to invest in the environment that is unclear. And what that'll mean is that we're actually going to go the opposite way and have less supply in the marketplace and likely higher costs of housing because we continue to have 40 to 60,000 new uh, people coming into the province every year most of which in the Metro Vancouver area. So we've got more demand coming in, but we're starting to back off on supply. And that ultimately means higher costs and less housing. 
The other thing that I am curious about is what your take is on various energy products here, uh, projects here on the West Coast, uh, most notably Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion. There are no forthcoming you know, parliamentary votes on this particular project, so I, I don't know if the uh, minority liberals are going to have to be concerned about seeing that through. But where are we at right now with regards to Canada having some sort of reputation about getting these projects through? Yeah, good questions. So on the former, uh, I don't see any risk to the Trans Mountain Pipeline at all. Um, public polls are between 60 and 70% in favor of moving forward with the pipelines, including TMX, that we have in place today. Um, uh, people forget that TMX is a crown corporation, so it has approval to move forward and is continuing to do that as we speak. There are some people that are still opposed to the pipeline, and I respect that. But the reality is, is that... Uh, that will move forward. If it were ever to come to a vote for some reason, which I can't foresee, uh, the Liberal government, as the government responsible for the Crown Corporation, would likely be supported by the uh, Conservatives. And as a result, you'd have an overwhelming majority of support for continuing on with the the, uh, building of the pipeline. More generally, though, the thing that we're going through right now is uh, a transition around climate. And the thing that was missed in this election campaign is that while Canada needs to do its part, we're about 1.6% of total emissions globally. Uh, and we've, we can play a significant role in driving a clean tech economy. But what's missing is that in the BC case, our products that we export that pay the bills, about 75% of merchandise exports, come from commodities and come from energy. And those commodities and energy like forest products, mineral products, uh, aluminum, pulp and paper, oil and gas, are on average half the GHG intensity of competing products from around the world. So in other words, if you've got BC products inside, you're actually doing more to reduce climate change impacts than if you buy it from somewhere else. So for example, an electric vehicle takes four times more copper. If you had BC copper inside an electric vehicle, you'd have far fewer emissions than if you got the copper from somewhere else in the world. But we've got to be competitive to do that. Our carbon tax, to your point, is quite unique in the world. We're among the highest in the world, but we are the only jurisdiction in the world that doesn't provide protection for energy-intensive trade-exposed industries. So when I go to sell products in the global marketplace, there's a global price that's set. I can't change that. That's the price that people are prepared to pay. And if I've got a carbon tax embedded in, as we do in BC, uh, I can't pass that through to the purchaser. So I have to eat it, which means I've got less money to invest in wages, less money to invest in technology, less money to invest in growing my business. And it puts us at a disadvantage. So what happens is capital goes where you don't have the disadvantage. And that's where we're seeing an outflow of capital and natural resources and energy to the United States, to Latin America, to the Middle East and to Africa that have far lower environmental standards and much higher carbon intensity. And so we lose jobs and we lose uh, carbon leakage, as it's called. And that's the detriment of Canadians and climate as a whole. Uh, Greg, just as we wrap up here, any final thoughts on the outcome of this election and what it spells? Well, we've really gone back to traditional uh, voting patterns in the 2006 election. And in those days, you remember, Tyler, uh, the mantra was the West wants in. And I'm concerned about the fragmentation of Canada, the Federation. Um, We have been successful as a small open trading economy working together. 
and where we've been reliant on one another using the talents of the people we've got and the vast abundance of resources in innovation and entrepreneurship. And this election was very divisive. It pitted regions against one another, people against one another, classes against one another. And we're just far too small. And frankly, we're better than that as a country. And I'm disappointed. I saw it again last night where when the leaders spoke, they were speaking over one another on their acceptance speeches or concession speeches. And we've got to find a narrative that is different from the rest of the world. It's easy to divide people, but it takes real leadership among all of us, um, business, government, academia, indigenous leaders to come together to figure out how we can be better uh, working together as opposed to making someone the villain. And I just fear for the country that uh, the mantra of the West wants in, uh, you're seeing more and more of a debate around the West wants out. And that's not good for the West and it's not good for Canada. And I think we need to really pay attention to that and figure out how we can be better together. Yes, Greg. Uh, great insights. Always appreciate you joining us on the show. I want to thank you once again for joining us today. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. That's Greg Devignon. He is CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. And that is it for the show today. Thank you for listening. In the meantime, you can get your friends to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. For now, I'm Tyler Orton, and we'll be back tomorrow.